This is Matt Smock with Zenith Development. If you're interested in investing in recession-proof real estate investing, reach out to my friend Sam Newell at IPI. Welcome to the Recession-Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. All right, I'm really excited to have my next guest on the show. He's a friend of mine here in Salt Lake City in the Silicon Slopes of Utah, and actually one of the first developers in the Silicon Slopes area. He actually took a failed bank-owned huge development project from bank-owned and unprofitable to hugely successful. And, and it's because of his conservative, very realistic underwriting principles that he's been so successful. He has over $2 billion worth of development experience in the U.S. and in Europe. He was overseas in Switzerland working with some family offices for a number of years. He's back home, back in Utah, here in the Silicon Slopes again. We're working together on a number of projects. He's, now he's working from Alaska to, to Hawaii on development projects and here in, in Salt Lake City in the Utah area. Uh, he and his partners have over a couple billion dollars worth of development, 30, 40 years in the game of real estate and developing real estate. They've seen multiple recessions, and I'm really excited to hear about why they're so conservative, how they've been successful and been able to stay the course through the years, through the ups and downs, and i um, excited to hear what Matt has to say. All right, Matt Smock, welcome to the uh, Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, glad to uh, be on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to introduce uh, Matt Smock to everyone. Matt has a uh, really a a cool background from development to living overseas, managing money overseas, and, and quite a few different things. I'm going to let him kind of introduce himself, talk about his experience. But we're working on projects to, together currently. We just worked on an assisted living project that, uh, that we're, well, I'll, I'll let him talk about those. And um, I'm excited because one of the things that we have in common is we're both very conservative with our approach. And um, when we talk about recession-proof real estate investing, that's one thing that probably a lot of people that got caught in that last downturn really didn't do well as, as a conservative approach to, to uh, buying real estate. So Matt, um, take it away. Tell us about kind of your, where were you at, I don't know, 30 years ago in, in uh, were you in Utah? What were you doing? Yeah, when, when, you're, when you're younger. Yeah, I started out in uh, New York. I uh, worked uh, in a bank during RTC, which was in the late 80s, early 90s. Moved out to Utah and got into banking out here in Utah. Spent uh, a bunch of years doing lending from everything from commercial to residential to bridge. And then migrated into real estate, uh, more the development side and construction side. Uh, we did different projects, such as the uh, distressed acquisition of Traverse Mountain. My partners did everything from Governor's Plaza downtown to the Radisson Hotel, Canyon Park Technology Center down in Orem, Utah. And so 
you know, our background has been everything from private equity all the way down to construction, land development. We've done everything from hotels to apartments to uh, assisted living and all the way down into hospitality and then large, uh, large scale uh, office development. Between the partners, we have over 100 years experience between uh, Charles and Scott, myself. And it's mostly been in the Intermountain West. We have worked back east, have worked overseas. I spent a few years working for a couple family offices over in Europe and focused on, on mostly apartments and, and some student housing and a little bit of office restructuring of, of debt and, and deals. And then came back to the U.S. And, and that's when I partnered up with Charles and Scott to form Zenith Development and Zenith Land Partners. So we do everything from master plan communities. We uh, currently own Lexington Greens. It's basically the old Overlake uh, master planned uh, community out in Tooele. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's slated for 551 units of everything from uh, apartments to single family to townhomes and then senior uh, senior living as well. So that's a project that we're tell working me, on. Tell me more about that piece. There's a interesting thing going on in Tooele with multifamily, right? I mean, they've put a total kibosh on any more approvals on, on multifamily, correct? Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting that you bring that up. There is, uh, for lack of a better term, a moratorium on anything high density yep. uh, residential for the next 12 months. Uh, really, by the time that they have to get everything back up and running, that could be closer to 18 months. We're going to be the, the project and probably the only project out there that uh, can build apartments in Tooele. Uh, there's a shortage of, of apartments in the area. It's estimated between four to 550 doors is what, what is needed to keep at, a, at equilibrium out in Tooele right now. And so it's, uh, it's a project that we're really excited to, uh, to be involved in and to be developing. And really uh, the city uh, unanimously voted uh, the approval. They turned down six other applications and we are, uh, for lack of a better term, the only game in town when it comes wow. to uh, apartments out there. Very, awesome. very exciting for us. Yeah, that's some really exciting stuff. And, you know, for, for those, I, I have clients that live all over the country. So um, there's a few, I'll ask you a few questions here and there um, to help people that don't know the Utah market. But Tooele is important because of the inland port. There's a lot of development. The prison's moving out to the Great Salt Lake, which is going, going to take a lot of jobs that way. The airport's expanding with the inland port. But if you look at a map of the Salt Lake Valley, Tooele is really the last nice area left to expand. Would you agree? I would, yeah. And what's interesting, it's the blue-collar workforce. So the people that work at the airport or that will work at the Amazon Distribution Center or the jail area of uh, of Salt Lake. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Amazon so Distribution. It, it, that, that's right. And and for us, we see this as being the path of progress. You have the Romney family just picked up a parcel just north of this, and they're going to be putting in a warehousing and transshipment facility. And it's literally a five-minute drive just north of, of this site. So again, you're, you're going to see a lot of growth. And really, that path of progress moves west into the Tula Valley. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and I've seen that happen, you know, over the last 10 years in Salt Lake, Harriman was the place to be. It was the last place you could really get right. decent amount of land. And it was 
people like it because it's all new construction. You know, there's a lot of families that don't want to live in a gentrifying area. They don't want to live in, where there's a lot of remodeling and, and you still have maybe um, less desirable citizens in, in those neighborhoods. So they'll go to the, the Tooele. They'll go to Harriman. They don't mind. And it's only a 25-minute drive into downtown Salt Lake. That's what's amazing is it's, it's a direct shot straight into downtown Salt Lake. Harriman's a little bit further. So I think actually Stansbury Park Tooele are going to be very, very popular in the coming years as our housing shortage continues. Um, tell me, though, I, I, I love the Lehigh area, and I love the fact that you worked on Traverse Mountain. So I want to ask you a little bit more about that because someone had completely failed on that project, and you actually picked it up out of a complete failure and, and made it happen. Yeah, so it was a, it was a banknote, a non-performing banknote that uh, – originally had been uh, put together by Far West Bank, which was then acquired by American West Bank. And so we came in and we put it under contract with, uh, with the bank, ended up going into a participation agreement with American West Bank, and then bought them out within approximately 190 to 120 days post-acquisition. So really that, that allowed us to join venture with the bank, get it off of the off of their books by the end of the year. It was a little over $65 million on paid principal balance. And, and our purchase price was somewhere in that 10 to $11 million range. The specifics of it, uh, to be honest with you, I, I, there are certain things I can talk about because of the sale and settlement agreement. Mm-hmm. But it was one of, those, one of those deals that come along you know, every 30, 40 years. And it was a great project to be involved with. That's awesome. That's, and, and it's a, you know, my best friend just moved to Utah. He actually lives in Traverse Mountain now. And I have many friends that live up there and I'm building really close. And, and that's what, you know, I've been working with investors for years and years talking about the Silicon Slopes. So you were really part of the start of that development. Adobe now is right there. They're adding, they're doubling their, their size right now. You know, Oracle, uh, Vivint Solar, which it sold for a billion dollars. Workfront, Podio, you have, you have all these very, very successful um, high-producing companies moving to the Traverse Mountain that, that you developed. That's right. And it really had everything to do with understanding dark fiber or black fiber. Mm-hmm. And it's military-grade fiber that was put in, comes down from the airport uh, down to the Camp Williams military base and then goes west to the east across to uh, Intel Micron, which was the original uh, chip, Micron chip plant right. that was put in back in the 90s. And these people, you know, put in dark fiber, which allows for all these technology firms and to be able to pipe in to that dark fiber. And that's where we saw that opportunity. That's one of the reasons why we ended up, you know, uh, acquiring the note. And we then foreclosed and took over the property, which was everything from commercial to residential multifamily land. And the price that we purchased it at really in today's market, it was it was very fortuitous to see that opportunity. So we were really good at underwriting transactions, really good at seeing the value and those value add plays. And it was a transaction that, you know, we we saw we saw the future. You know, it was supposed to be Silicon Hills, it ended up being Silicon Slopes. Yeah, and uh, was one of those transactions where you could see that that uh, clear over from the NSA, which had just been slated at the time. They hadn't started construction mm-hmm. when we bought the node. It was 
this will be, you know, the fact that you have NSA coming in on on uh, on federal land and going all the way across to Intel and Micron or the IM Flash as it's known today. You could see these these buildings coming in and these companies coming in to be able to pipe into that, uh, you know, uh, unlimited bandwidth dark fiber. Yeah, no, that that's huge. So, you know, there's a, n- a couple of other projects that I'm excited for you to be working on, excited to be working on with you, actually. Um, and, and I think one of those that you've really done some just fantastic work on that's a huge value add play is the assisted living facility. And, and the point that I kind of want you to talk about is why do you think it's so important to be extremely conservative? We may be at the top of the market, we may not, but you've been doing this a long time. Tell us a little bit about that, how between assisted living facilities all the way to developing entire mountainside, you know, neighborhoods and, and uh, master plan communities, why is it important to you to be so conservative and, and you know, underwrite those deals the way you do? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think I think markets run in cycles. I don't think we, we know that markets run in cycles. And you do have a little bit of a boom to bust. It goes back to about 1902. You know, we started to track the analytics. This is pre-2008. And we noticed some patterns that uh, you had you had bubbles that that occurred, these natural bubbles where the markets were allowed to to flow up and down and, and correct. And, and we took some of the analytical data going back to the early 1900s, and we saw that every eight to 13 years, you had a boom and you had a bust. Mm-hmm. And those corrections presented opportunities, and so did the recovery of the markets presented opportunities. If you were able to acquire assets at the right time, reposition them, hold on to them, and disposition those assets, at the right time or within within a certain period of time, the people that were able to read the markets did extremely well. Those that timed the markets poorly ended up losing billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so in 2005, we started to see an over-exuberance in the market. You know, credit and underwriting was truly non-existent. Everybody got approved. You know, you could be... Right. Uh, Right. A homeless person in New York, there was a story about a homeless person in New York that was able to buy a penthouse. He lived in it for free for about nine months until <laughs> he was foreclosed and, and kicked out of the penthouse. Oh, my gosh. The, the fact that he was able to get that loan, uh, you know, really talked about the issues with the credit markets, that it was just money was too easy. There was no right. qualifying. And we started to see some of that, these exotic products that appeared which allowed people to go up to 115, 125% of the value of their homes, knowing that if we go back 100 years, you know, the uh, real estate markets only go up about 3% annually. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and seeing these, these huge swings in the market, we said, you know, we're, we're forecasting some uh, storm clouds on, on the horizon. And if we're just patient, uh, we can capitalize on those opportunities, in which we, we did, and we were able to pick up, you know, a few uh, very large distressed assets. No, that that's awesome, and and it's still going on today. You're, there's not as much of it, I would say. There's no crazy stated income loans. There there is one out there I know of right now, but you know the assisted living that you just purchased, you bought it for less than it was built for, right? Correct. Yeah, and that's where we see the opportunities today. You know, if you fast forward from the uh, you know the Great Recession today, people have to put more down. 
Um, you do see some, a few, a few exotic products coming back, but it's nothing like it was pre-08. So if there is a correction that, that would, were to occur, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking about a softer landing. We're not going to be seeing a, a crash. And any kind of correction is something that, you know, we price in into the assets and into the acquisition of those assets. But we did uh, recently acquire an assisted living with uh, Sam's help. And it was something that, again, as we underwrite these uh, these opportunities, we underwrite in a, a little bit of a cushion for a correction. Right. Uh, the uh, facility that we acquired was, uh, was built for $6.2 million. And we acquired it for a little bit under 3.8. <laughs> so it was 3.7, roughly 3.725 million, and uh, and right now, you know, we've uh, we've started renovations on the facility, and we should be open for business somewhere in end of October, first week of uh, November. In the interim and lead up to that, we're gonna we're gonna start with leasing and uh, and getting um, getting pre leases or reservations for the people that will move into the facility. But for us, we look at it. Very similar to what Warren Buffett uh, said is that you you make a lot of your money on the buy side. Because mm-hmm. if you're able to acquire an asset or put it under contract and you have an implied discount already built into the buy side, then you're not relying on market appreciation. You're structuring your your purchase and your, your discount when you go into it. Um, there's another facility that we're in the process of, of putting under contract right now and the sellers were, were asking uh, north of ten and a half million dollars, mm-hmm. and working in uh, in the ballpark of about eight point nine to nine million dollars right now. And, and knowing wow. that, knowing that this place requires a little bit of renovation, we're cushioning that in on the buy side, and we're not hoping for market appreciation. We're saying no, we're going to back that out of the purchase price. So, so what I'm hearing you say is you're not banking on the market staying good forever, which is interesting because, you know, I'm syndicating large apartment purchases, you have funds, you're, you're buying different assets, it's all the same, but I'm seeing many different syndicators and, and people raising money banking on huge appreciation from the market to make these deals work. And I'm telling my investors, hey, we're not buying as many assets we're being, we're, we're very slow and methodical. And in a few years, if there is a downturn, we'll be buying those assets from the people that weren't as careful. Be patient. That's, that's really one of our, our monikers is, is be patient. If you are patient, uh, the best deals that you do are the, actually the ones you don't do. I love it. Yep. I yeah, hear that all the time from experienced investors. You, sometimes the best ones you do are the ones you walk away from. And actually you and I have a, we're not going to name any names, but we can chuckle about a, an assisted living facility that you walked away from and I was pitched on and later I walked away from because they were absolutely, I mean, it was a beautiful facility and they probably will get great rents and, and great lease rates. But yeah, that was one that we definitely had to walk away from. And, and actually, I think I ran. I think you ran as well. That's but right. you know, people just being optimistic, right? That's what, that's what it was. Yeah, and, and you just have to, you know, I think you always have to take a step back and say, what happens if they can't get those rents? Yeah. What happens if the market does correct 5 10%? All those things you have to take into account. And really, I think when you do that and the dust settles, that's why you, know, that's why you walk from the deal. That's why we walk from the deal is because they're, they're banking, their base case, best case, worst case, underwrite 
is their underwriting on a best case scenario. There's no base, there's no worst. They're throwing those out. And that's something that that always frightens us here at the end of the market cycle is people start pushing the envelope, their underwriting based off of a best case scenario, and they are throwing out the base case and the worst case scenario. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, and you know, one thing we do with our apartments when we when we underwrite these, you know, like right now we're underwriting a Kansas City really good cool property in Kansas City, Kansas. But if we can't cover our costs at 20% vacancy, we're not going to buy it. Now, the worst part of the market averaged 12% vacancy, so that's ultra conservative and our investors have asked us about that, but you know, what, what's the number one rule about money? Don't lose money. I think Warren Buffett said that as well. <laughs> what's, what's rule number two? Don't lose money. Yeah. Don't lose <laughs> rule money. Number one is don't, rule number two is don't lose money. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it's all in the purchase. This uh, facility we're looking at, we've, we're trying to follow your example. They started at 29 million. We got them down to 27, now 25. And we end up writing an offer at 23 and a quarter. So, you know, it, I think there's plenty. It was an off-market deal, so we're lucky. But there's plenty of people that probably would have bought it at 25 or 27. So we're crossing our fingers that we can get this done. But um, you know, I, I have a question that I ask a lot of my investors, and and it's you know it's a loaded question. There's probably no right answer, and it depends on your personal investing practices and and your goals. But what do you think, Matt, is more important, location or rate of return or cap rate? Location. <laughs> no, I, don't, location. I don't think you'd even had to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I have a lot of investors chasing these high, high cap rates. In the downturn, I, we saw a lot of people uh, that had bought high cap rates out in, in areas that maybe it's a war zone. You got to carry a gun to collect rent or, Absolutely. you know, and, and they struggled. They struggled big time. Yeah, I had that. We bought a portfolio of single-family homes in the Midwest, and we thought it was going to be a great deal. Mm-hmm. Our area of focus was Intermountain West, you know, Utah, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, and we strayed from the model, and we went to the Midwest and, and acquired this portfolio, and no matter what we did to those properties, they were beaten up. They weren't well-maintained. And they and they knew that we were out in the Rocky Mountain region. The the flight time out there to inspect it, the time that it took us to get on a plane when we had flooded units during the wintertime, pipes bursting, yep. people leaving, pulling out copper wiring as a, a party oh. gift. And uh, and we ended up selling the portfolio at a loss. And wow. the lesson that we learned was stick to your area. If you can't get on a plane and you can't be there within an hour, don't do it. Yeah, that's, no matter how attractive it was, we were buying some of these homes at fifteen thousand dollars a door. Wow, appraised value was forty-five. It, it sounded it sounded too good to be true, and in reality, it was because we weren't local. And, and if we had been local, it would have been a distant, different story. But because we weren't local, it didn't work. You know, and yeah. you just have to stay. You have to stay in your backyard. If you can't get on a plane and be there and deal with the situation within an hour, don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. We have partners. We make sure anywhere we look, we're going to have partners, boots on the ground where it's not yeah. a flight. They're, they're there. We, you know, we have an issue. They're going to be there within a couple hours. You know, we have partners 
in Dallas, where we've just bought an asset, in Sarasota, Florida, in Kansas City. And, and I agree with you. And the other thing that I think I got from that story is what kind of renter, what kind of tenant base, what, what's your profile that you're, that you're wanting to target? I don't want to target D-class renter base. You know, I don't want the criminals, the people that can't rent anywhere else, people that are fixing Harleys in their living room. And it sounds like that's probably another lesson you learned from, from that portfolio. Well, it, it is. You know, that's the, uh, that is the lesson is you want to stay in the middle. You want to stay, I mean, classy is great. You know, there's a lot of blue collar, hardworking people yeah. that pay the rent on time. And sometimes they fall behind, but they catch up. But you want to stay, I mean, we, we, uh, we don't take on high-end deals. And we don't take on ultra low end deals. I love it. There's tons of upside, or you're in the you're in the high end, and you're really hoping that uh, the Deer Valley just keeps going up from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars per square foot. We won't touch it. And <laughs> we, we've learned is stay clear of the ultra high end yep. because markets do correct. It starts at the top and it ripples down to the bottom, and then the other is to stay away from the ultra low end. Right. Because those are going to be the people that are going to, the minute that anything happens, they're going to put all of their stuff in garbage bags and they're going to, they're going to walk. Yeah. During they're going to move back in with family. They're going to go to a trailer park or whatever it is. Usually they move in with family. Holiday, uh, the, during the holidays, the uh, people won't give up. They won't give up the, uh, the presents. They don't give up the festivities. And uh, that was a lesson that we learned. Wow. Stay. You want to stay in the, the basically the median or the the middle of the curve, and don't deviate. Stay in deals that are not too high or too low. Absolutely, you know, and and we've done the research, and you're absolutely right. The asset classes that suffered the most in the downturn were your D class and yep. your luxury A class. Absolutely, without fail, and and all of my purchases now have been not luxury A class, so newer properties, but not luxury. And yep. then B and C class, because those those stay rented. They did not have high vacancy. They didn't have really any type of rental corrections in good markets. But But tell me this, I've got another question for you. And this is something I ask. It may not be as pertinent to you because you're more established, very, very successful. It's more for my younger people my age on the show. But um, Maybe I'll ask this. What, what do you see kids my age spending money on that just drives you nuts that they should be saving to, you know, to invest? Don't eat out as much, honestly. I see a lot of, uh, a lot of items like you know, going out to restaurants. They have lots of gadgets, um, lots of travel, mm-hmm. which I have nothing against travel. I've lived overseas, and I, I love traveling. But uh, I do think that, that there is an issue in this country with savings. Um, yeah. Of all developed nations, we have, we have the least amount of savings of any first world country. That's People crazy. need to learn how to save. They've got to put more aside. And sometimes you can't go out and, and you can't get a latte or you can't get your, your favorite or your favorite banh mi every day is... Mm-hmm. You, we've got to learn how, as a country and as a nation, how to put more money aside for the rainy day. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. My, my wife and I never bought a new piece of furniture. We've been married 10 years as of last September, 
last year and year number 10 was the first time we bought a new bed or a new couch. It was all hand-me-down or, or, uh, you know, goodwill before then. And, and we rarely bought clothes either. We didn't eat out a lot. Things are a little bit different now. We have a large investment portfolio. We've started to spend some of that money. But yeah, any, we, and we really don't fit in well with people our age at all because they all have nicer cars than us. They all have much nicer homes than us. They all travel way more than we do. But guess what? Our rental portfolio, um, you know, theirs is non-existent and, and ours is, is much, much better. So I'm okay with it, but I, but I think you're right. So, so tell us how, um, you know, Zenith, Zenith is looking at a number of different projects if we have listeners that are interested in investing with you, should they, who should they reach out to? What is probably the next exciting project that you'd have open for, you know, and this is probably all accredited investors in your projects, I'm assuming. Right. So they do have to be accredited. But, but what is the next project or, or how can you um, see investors bringing money to your deals? And, and what kind of returns? I know you can't guarantee anything, but, but what do you guys try to do there? Yeah, good question. Uh, our focus right now is we're, we're outside of our master plan community that we're doing out in Tooele, which will have residential lots. We are tailoring that down. We're focusing on anything that is income producing, knowing that we're at the end of the market cycle or the ninth inning of, of the uh, the baseball game. It may go into a few uh, few extra innings here. Mm-hmm. I think that is, is totally I think we're already plausible. in extra innings, aren't we? And we could argue, you know, I was talking to a, a large uh, investment manager out of New York. He manages about $32 billion. And his comment to me is, is in, my, in our opinion, we're in extra innings here. Yeah. And so for us, knowing that we're in potentially ninth, ninth inning or extra innings, as he called it, our focus is income producing. We're looking at apartments. We're looking at assisted living. If it doesn't generate or ha- doesn't have the potential to generate income, and and really is an asset class that can endure any type of five, seven, ten year, ten ten percent correction. Mm-hmm. We're not getting involved with it. So we love uh, apartments in blue collar areas like Tooele, South West, Weber, West Haven, <clears throat> West West Haven, exactly. If it isn't uh, assisted living, where we have a silver tsunami coming of retirees oh, yeah. that are needing um, uh, good housing. And that's why we're doing everything from class A assisted living all the way down to class C plus, class B. You know, we want to be able to cover that spectrum. Very similar to hospitality and extended stay hospitality is you have your Marriott Marquis and you also have your Marriott Courtyard. There is a market for both of those. And uh, that's it. I mean, we're real disciplined. Uh, We don't do anything high end, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And our focus is are those two things, assisted living and uh, multifamily. If people were to invest, we only take subscriptions from family offices and and high net worth investors, accredited investors, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Subscriptions are usually in that $50,000 to $150,000 range, but they must be accredited. Mm -hmm. And again, our deals are, are usually 36 months to 48 months. Occasionally, we'll go outside of that. But, you know, if we can't see an exit, you know, our, our exit strategy, as we're underwriting the deal, we don't do it. So we pass on probably 98% of the deals that we look at. Right. And, uh, and those, that's tough. That's a different, you know, that's a, um, a skill set that you just have to be able to walk away from the deal. Right. Uh, and we see that as, as being 
something that is really not unique to Zenith, but something that we pride ourselves in is is really turning away a lot of deals and finding, in our opinion, the best deals that fit our business model. Patience, right? That's what you said earlier, patience. So so our listeners will probably have some reach out to you. Um, one thing that I, I know my investors that I've introduced to you just passed their info on to you. They've ended up meeting with you, flying into town. They really like that you guys are very open. You're kind of open books, very open about what you're developing. I've worked with a number of builders, developers that you never know how much money they're making. You never know what their building practices are. You don't know how much it's going to really end up costing or making. And, and that's one thing that I've shied way, way away from is any developer, builder, investment group that isn't extremely, extremely open about what's the business model, the business plan, where the exit is. And that's one thing I would compliment you and Zenith on is, and not even from my experience, but just what I've heard from the people that I've introduced to you is, is that you're very open and it's, it's, uh, it's a relief to, to have that type of an experience. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good point. Uh, us being investors as well, you know, we're doing what we, we expect others to deliver to us. The reality is, is that most general partners or investment managers and developers are really poor. They're, they're good at doing certain things and they're really poor at doing other things. And where they're, where, in my opinion, where they, where they come up short is they do not provide proper disclosure to investors they don't turn over everything mm-hmm. because you really should be providing, in my opinion, everything to the investors. Right. Let them go through, let them look at everything, different iterations of, of land plans, site plans, construction drawings, let them see everything, financial modeling, different iterations of financial modeling. As deals progress, things change. Right. If things change in the underwriting, disclose it. We want your investors to be collaborative and involved. Even though they're limited investors and limited partners in a deal, they still deserve to have full disclosure and full transparency. And so we provide data rooms and we send it out to everybody. And if they find something that for some reason they like or they don't like, we always try to explain it, but they get everything. And so there is more, you know, there, there's more responsibility on our end to walk them through why they're seeing six different cash flow analyses on these things. And we explain that as things progress, as we find out more information, we put it in there. And it allows for them to respond back to us and say, I like that. I like the, you know, I like what you guys are doing. The fact that you have disclosed that, uh, you know, certain care in the assisted living facilities, the cost of that went up. And you disclose it to everybody. And, and so for us, you know, we do even all the way down to after we close a deal, we have investor reports that go out. We do that usually on a monthly basis and then moves to quarterly. But it's so that they're, they see everything that's happening from landscaping to demolition to all the renovations to the color palettes and the decisions we're making. And, and that they can always come back and say, you know, I agree or, or I, I disagree. You should go with a different color palette. And here's my opinion. We've had a few of our family offices that invested with us that occasionally they call us up and say, I think that you should paint those walls a different color. <laughs> I don't like the light blue. I think you guys should go with a light green. We take all of that under advisement. Uh, we had one of our investors recently that said, you know, there's a, there's a cast iron, wrought iron fence outside. It's got a dent in it. 
I think you guys should set up some money in the budget and have that uh, have that fixed. And we did. Wow. And uh, and so we're we're fixing we're fixing the wrought iron fans because we agreed with him. It was just something that we overlooked because there were right. so many items and there was uh, you know we as we were going through the budget, it's like you know what that's a good point. And so we take those things under advisement, and it is a little bit more of a collaborative a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. But for us, if, if as as investors, we think that's important. That right. they're involved and that we uh, we take their opinion seriously, and so it's just a different approach. No, I like that, and that's what we do with the apartments we're buying, like in Kansas City. Um, we really want people to be involved. I I and I'm I'm guessing. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming you feel the same way when someone says, "Okay, here, take my money," without doing due diligence. That actually makes me nervous, nervous, and makes me not want to take their money. Because I want people to understand what they're getting into. You know, when you sign a subscription agreement, basically the the SEC requires us to say, you're crazy for investing your money and you realize you can lose all of this. If people don't even care, that makes me nervous. You know, I want people that do their due diligence like me. I'm, you know, my partners and I and you were all very, very thorough. And, and that's the type of investor I want to work with who's involved, who cares about their money, who cares about other people's money. And and is careful, you know, for the, so for the Kansas city deal, there's some things we're, that we're doing right now that we're, we're, we're assuming we're going to get our offer accepted, but same thing happened. You know, a couple of us had different ideas of where things should go. And, and I, I think it just shows an investor type, you know, the investor profile that is more careful with their money. And, and that's what we look for. Again, someone who wants to be involved, wants to learn. And I've never been worried about training my my competition. I'd rather just help, you know, all, all ships rise on a, on a high tide. So I'd rather help people um, learn and, and learn the business and, and not go in blind. And I know that's, that's what you guys feel as well. Yeah. Know your client, get to know them, mm-hmm. have them fly in. I mean, we've, we've had some new clients that, that wanted to invest and we said, not until we get to know you, get yeah. on a plane, come on out here, get to know us. You should be if you're going to be involved in this collaborative experiment that we're doing here where you get access to everything, we want to know you. Yeah. And we want to know and make sure that you understand that you're going to be more involved in this process. Uh, awesome. Well, hey, you and I are working on a really cool piece in West Haven yet to officially get it going, get any approvals. I think we've got some different pieces to work on. I'm going to put your email, your phone number in the notes section of this of this podcast so people can reach out directly to you. Jeez, what else? What else should we add about recession-proof real estate investing? Anything that, that you'd want to just give it as advice to someone getting started? Is just be careful. Be careful, especially, especially at the end of the market cycle. Yes, you're going to see lots of deals. You're going to see lots of dirt being moved, earth being moved out there. You're going to see a lot of construction. Pick your investments carefully. Yep. It's very important at this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, let's see. That should be good. Um, Matt, I want to thank you for being on my podcast. Again, Recession Proof Real Estate Investing with Matt Smock and uh, Zenith Group. So they're doing some cool stuff.